Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens post-draft show as Daniel Wilcox and I, Bo Smolka, will be breaking down the Ravens' 2022 draft and we will see where this team goes forward from here, which of these players will have an immediate impact and what do the Ravens still need to do because there are some holes still even after drafting 11 players. But first, let's get right into the draft. The Ravens really made some waves on that first night of the draft. They traded away Marquise Brown, their top receiver, wide receiver from last year. It gave them a second first-round draft pick, which they used on Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum. And even before that, in the with their very first pick, they selected Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who Eric DaCosta said not in a million years did he expect Kyle Hamilton to be on the board at number 14 overall. DaCosta had Kyle Hamilton ranked among his top five players, but then there was an early run on wide receivers and some offensive linemen went off the board. And suddenly Kyle Hamilton, who is not, frankly, a position of need for the Ravens, sitting there at number 14, but the Ravens for years and years and years have said, we take the best player available regardless of need. And that seemed to be a pick that completely typified that. It was not a position of need. Hamilton was viewed as a top five talent. He's sitting there at 14, and Eric DaCosta said it was a no-brainer to take him. Take the best players, and we'll figure out, and we'll make it work. So Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end, and my co-host on this show. Overall, when you look at the three days, the 11 picks the Ravens made, how did their team get better? Um, I think they got better all over the field. You know, definitely got better at offensive line, which I thought was extremely important pick for the Ravens to have some offensive linemen to come in that could help right away. The tight end room definitely got better in the tight end room. You know, anytime you draft two tight ends, you're making a statement. You know, I mean, the entire secondary was out last year. So to go pick up a big time safety like this kid, Kyle Hamilton, I think it was a no brainer choice for them and easy for them, uh, easy decision for them to make. And then the one that shocked me was the punter, you know, because Sam has been such a staple on that team for so long. But one thing I've noticed about the Ravens is they do a really good job of taking the best player. They always have. But I remember sitting down on draft day and hoping that the Ravens were going to select me because we had talks that they were going to draft me that year. And um, they ended up drafting Todd Heap in the first round. And I, I knew exactly what was going on at that point. So there's no way I'm getting drafted to the Ravens now. you know. But they called me immediately after the draft to try to bring me in as an undrafted free agent. And I didn't go because they had Shannon Sharp, they had Todd Heap, they had Ben Coates. I automatically was number four. And I knew how hard it was going to be to make the team being the number four guy. And that was that was being nice. I don't know who else they was going to bring in, right? You know, I could have been fifth, sixth, seventh. I don't know. You know, but at that moment, they brought in Todd Heat. I mean, look who Todd Heat turned out to be. You know, so, I mean, you can't be mad at the Ravens for anything that they do. Ozzy has always been a genius as far as taking the best player. And what you're trying to do is you're always trying to bring somebody that could come in and help you immediately. Versus a lot of teams draft picks and they think they're going to you know, basically redshirt them, you know, sit them down for a year, let them sit behind a guy for a year or two, let them learn, learn, learn. But the Ravens draft the kind of players that are so elite that when they come in, they can contribute right away. Every year you have to update your team. Every year you have to transform your team. And it doesn't matter if you bring in a safety that you don't need right at this moment, because if he's better than what you have then you, you won't need some of those other guys that you have on your team. So now you could trade those guys to somebody that really needs a safety and then pick up another player that you need down the line. So the Ravens are not dumb, you know, at all. And they know how this thing works. They got to the trade deadline to make some moves, and they're definitely going to be making some free agent picks, you know, bringing in receivers, you know, offensive linemen, anything else they may need. 
let's let's talk about that because Eric Tacosta back in January, I think when he met with the media, you talk about the offensive line. He specifically said right away, fixing the offensive line was going to be a priority. They gave up a franchise record 57 sacks last year. They didn't run the ball like they wanted to. And part of that was their running back room got destroyed by injury. So they're having these street free agents in the game, but they wanted the offensive line to get better period. And they went out and they signed Morgan Moses to be right tackle. Now they trade and they have a chance and they take Tyler Linderbaum, the Iowa center, who both Eric Costa and John Harbaugh have said in their mind is one of the best linemen they've seen coming out of the college draft in years. They both said that. So mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I respect their opinion and their evaluating. And the other thing that was interesting was John Harbaugh, the night after that first round of the draft, said Tyler Linderbaum is going to be the starter. And he doesn't always do that with rookies. He is not right away going to declare rookie starters. He generally makes you earn your spot to start. And I know a guy like C.J. Mosley jumped right in. Patrick Queen jumped right in, and they were starting. But it doesn't always happen that way. But he said right away Linderbaum would be the starter. So both of those picks, Hamilton and Linderbaum, sure, I think they'll both be on the field right away. You talk about trades. There's some discussion whether Chuck Clark would now be considered a trade prospect. It could be because, remember, they've already signed Marcus Williams to a big five-year contract. So you've got Williams, you've got Hamilton, you've got Chuck Clark, you've got Brandon Stevens, who they like as a safeties prospect. You've lost to Sean Elliott to free agency, but you've got three or four safeties who really, really feel good about it. And John Harbaugh said, look, a lot of times... When we play dime defense, we have three safeties on the field. We will not have any trouble having three safeties on the field. And the other thing that John Harbaugh said that was interesting, specific about Hamilton, or uh, Eric DaCosta, rather, said about Hamilton was that he does a great job covering tight ends. And that's something that the Ravens have struggled to do in the past. And it seems every team they play seems to have a really good pass-catching tight end. And the Ravens have struggled to figure out how to cover him. Does Jimmy Smith take him? Does a safety take him? Does a linebacker try to take him? And now they think they have Kyle Hamilton, a guy who can can do that. So the first round happens, and right after Kyle Hamilton is selected, word comes down that the Ravens have traded Marquise Brown. And of course, that sent shockwaves through the media room where we were. We did not see the trade coming, but clearly the team did, and Marquise Brown did, because Marquise Brown surfaces at an Arizona uh, draft party minutes later. So the deal, we learned later, Eric DaCosta said, Marquise Brown had asked for a trade. He wasn't real happy with his role in this offense. He wanted out. He wanted to go to a different offense. And now that trade looks very interesting because the DeAndre Hopkins was just suspended for six games by the NFL. And so Marquise Brown has a chance to really become the guy for a while in Arizona. But Marquise Brown leaves, and now you've got this huge hole at wide receiver. And the interesting thing was the Ravens and Brown both wanted to keep the trade quiet. They didn't want anyone to know because they were they thought it might affect the other teams, how they viewed the Ravens' draft strategy or whatever. I'll give them credit. They kept it quiet. I, we did not see that trade coming. But the trade happens. And what do the Ravens do? During the draft, they go out and draft not one, but two, two pass-catching tight ends. Charlie Kolar from Iowa State and Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. They're both big-bodied, move tight ends, you like to call them. They're more the receiver tight ends than the Nick Boyle blocker-type tight ends. And when you go back and look at the 2019 Ravens team that was 14-2, and they had Hayden Hurst, they had Mark Andrews, and they had Nick Boyle, and all three of them were were big-time pass catchers for 
Lamar Jackson, I mean, not big time. Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle each had about 30, 33 catches. And of course, Mark Andrews was on his way to becoming the probably the best tight end in the league. But this offense runs through tight ends. It has all along. So when you see them take two tight ends, Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end, and you think about back to that 2019 Ravens team and how effective those tight ends were, do you think this offense will look a lot like that one? Are these tight ends going to be basically the receivers on this team? Um, I, I think what you find is, I think what you said earlier, Bo, is the fact that the, the Ravens give, gave up 57 sacks to Lamar. You know, with being able to have three tight ends on the field, not only does it give you three pass receiving options, but it also gives you more protection for the quarterback. You know, anytime you put those three guys on the field, it changes the defensive chemistry. You know, the defense have to bring in guys to be able to protect the run now. You know, so they bring in bigger guys, slower guys, and then you still can run routes and run passes and throw passes and stuff and protect the quarterback. You can keep all three in if you need to to protect. You know, tight ends are basically extensions of the offensive line that actually run and catch. You know, so I love it, man. I I love anytime you can bring an offense and bring in the tight end more and um, allow us to do what we do best because we can flex out. We, we just like big receivers. You know, we can flex out and then we can attach to the line. We can get in the backfield, be fullbacks if we need to. You know, so I love the fact that the Ravens are putting some priority on the tight end room. I think that's a good look. And I think Lamar Jackson will appreciate it because, first of all, you get your starting quarterback hurt last year because he got pounded so freaking much. You know, then – you look back at it, you look, you had so many offensive linemen that was hurt, you know, so you, you go and you stock up offensive linemen, but then you draft two tight ends, which are basically two more offensive linemen, you know? So, I mean, I think it was smart by the Ravens to try to do what they can to protect their QB. I think you'll see a heck of a lot more three tight end fronts. And I thought they had the perfect situation when they had Hayden Hurst and Nick Ball and Mark Andrews. I thought that was a phenomenal a cast of tight ends. I, I wish they could have kept that together a little bit longer, you know, but what happens in this league is everybody wants to be the star, you know, everybody wants the big check. You know, you look at the guy in front of you and, and it's hard to say, man, he's driving a Aston Martin and he's making 20, 20 million a year. You know, it's hard to sit back and watch when, you know, you're just as good as that guy, you know? So if you want to be the man, you know, you have to go somewhere else to be the man because they already got the man, you know, they already got Mark Andrews. They don't need nobody else to be the man. They need everybody else to be Dennis Rodman, role players, you know. So you take what you take and you get what you get. And when your day comes, then, you know, you go you go get the big bucks. And I think Hollywood was dealing with a little bit of the same thing, you know, at the receiver spot. You know, it's one thing to be a, a, a speed guy that can scratch the field and you get a bunch of nickel and dime type passes all game long, you know, for two yards, three yards, five yards. And you really want to scratch the field, you know, you know, let your hair down, you know, let the top down in, in the convertible and just drive off into the sunset, you know? So I can't be mad at Hollywood for wanting to trade, you know, and I can't be mad at Eric DaCosta and company for allowing that trade to happen because they're big on chemistry in Baltimore, right? You know, chemistry is important. You know, people don't understand how underrated chemistry is. And the Ravens have understood that chemistry is what's going to take a good team from being a great team. And um, they've always chased greatness, you know? So I'm not mad at all about the trade. If you got a guy that doesn't, that's not happy, all he's going to do is tell other people that he ain't happy. And then other people are going to start to realize, hey, maybe I'm not happy either. And then it becomes a I'm not happy pity party. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're struggling. And then after having the season after you had last year, you can't repeat that again. So you got to do what you got to do to make things happen. Get him out of there while he is not a cancer. He hasn't become a cancer yet. And then bring in somebody that that feel like, you know, the Ravens is the best organization in in, in franchise in, in, in the country, really, because they really are, you know, like – 
I just received a, a, a artwork from the Ravens. I've been retired now for 13 years and I just received an artwork from the Ravens. They sent it to all the retired Ravens. And, you know, for them to still think about us 13 years later, it's phenomenal, man. It just, it blows me away. It blows me away, man. I, I played for the Jets. I played for the Bucks. I didn't receive anything from the Jets this year. I didn't receive anything from the Bucks this year. And one day Hollywood is going to retire and then he's going to get that package in the mail from the Ravens. And then he's going to be wondering where that Arizona package is. <laughs> it's not going to come. You know, the Ravens are first class, man. And it starts at the top with Steve Bashotti. He's phenomenal. That's great. Well, again, with Marquise Brown, I mean, if he doesn't want to be here, it doesn't help him or it doesn't help the team to have him exactly. here. Um, and he clearly didn't want to be here. The other thing I, it's interesting is you mentioned the year that they drafted Todd Heap and they thought they might take you. A couple times now, they've drafted two. They drafted Dennis Pitta and Ed Dixon mm-hmm. in the same draft. They drafted Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews in the same draft. And now they've drafted Charlie Kolar and Isaiah Likely. Kolar is an interesting one. He played at Iowa State, but he's actually from Oklahoma. I believe both his parents are faculty members at the University of Oklahoma. But he was never recruited by Oklahoma, but he certainly knows who Mark Andrews is, having started Oklahoma. So he is really excited to play with Mark Andrews. And the other tight end, Isaiah Likely, out of Coastal Carolina, is a big athletic guy who might be able to play more of a slot receiver or out wide. And we asked John Harbaugh about his role And he said, we're not sure where his fit will be. All we know is he fits as a playmaker, and that's what he's going to be for us. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see these two tight ends added to this offense. I think it is an element they have missed since they lost Hayden Hurst. And as you said, Hayden Hurst looked around and said, Mark Andrews is the man. I'm not going to be the man here as long as Mark Andrews is here, and I'm going to go somewhere where I can be the man. The Ravens traded Hurst. They ended up getting J.K. Dobbins ultimately out of that trade. So it, you know, in the end, it could be turn out to be a very good trade for the Ravens, but it did affect their offense when they lost Hurst, no doubt. And they like to think that Kolar and likely might be able to get that offense back to something close to the way it was. You talked about guys that can make an immediate impact. Now, in the second round, the Ravens took a player who they know can't make an immediate impact, and that is David Ajabo, the edge rusher from the University of Michigan. Ajabo was considered a first-round pick consensus. He'd probably be a top-15 pick. A lot of people thought the Ravens he might be the Ravens' first pick. And then he tore his Achilles at the Michigan Pro Day in March, and so that changed his entire draft prospect. He may or may not play this entire year, so teams backed off him. And in the second round, here come the Ravens to take Ajabo, who, by the way, thrived in Mike McDonald's one year as the defensive coordinator at Michigan. And now Mike McDonald is the defensive coordinator in Baltimore. So he knows Ajabo as well as anyone. What did you think of the Ravens taking Ajabo there in the second round, knowing he can't play probably till at least, let's say, Thanksgiving? Um, I think it was a smart move by them. If they didn't take him, somebody was, you know. So you, you either play with the kid or or you play against the kid. And I think at the end of the day, this was a position that the Ravens felt like they really, really needed a, a, a first-round pick at. You know, with him being injured, and even though he's a top-15 projected player, him being injured, he would probably drop to the third or the fourth round, you know. But you couldn't risk that being able to pick him up at pick 45. And I think the Ravens, you know, this is just who the Ravens are, man. I mean, Keeley's injuries are like, to me, some of the worst injuries because it's such a pivotal part of your foot. You know, you never know how it's going to once it heals or whatever. But if this thing heals and it's better than it, what it was, but people going to have to watch out. You know, they're going to really have to watch out. This kid is coming. And um, and it'd be good to kind of get um to get him on the field 
and to get everybody else back healthy on their defense to be able to play with Mike McDonald. And I, the thing to me is, is the kid already knows the, the defense. You know, he played in Michigan. He played underneath the Ravens defense in Michigan with McDonald. You know, so as soon as he hits the field, it's, he 100 miles per hour. He's running. You know, it's not even like there's a, a, a transitional learning curve there. Like he knows the defense. It's going to be one of those things when he come back and he does get on the field, he's going to look like he's in fast forward while everybody else is in quicksand. Everybody else's legs are going to be dead and tired and kind of beat up and wore out from the season. He's going to come in there so fresh. He's going to be like a jackrabbit. And um, he's going to be 100 miles per hour coming off the edge, man. It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how he comes and fits into this Ravens defense and how well Mike McDonald uses him. You know, one thing I can say about the Ravens, if they, they get really versatile players, you know, guys that can play, you know, outside backer, inside backer, defensive end, and then they can bump out and be a big safety if they need to be. And this kid is super athletic, man. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see where he um, – I remember playing with a Dalis Thomas, you know, and he was this freakish, you know, 6'5". He was a straight line guy. He didn't have a bunch of side side change of direction, you know, but he, his hips were kind of stiff. But straight line, he probably ran a 4'4", a low 4'4", that, you know, he could haul butt. So you could put him out at the – at the gunner on punt return and he could cover a wide receiver down the field step for step, you know, or DB down the field step for step and not, not miss a beat. And he, he would take those guys and throw them over into the, you know, the Gatorade coolers on the sideline. Sometimes it was funny watching, man. And, you know, then he would line up an outside backer and drop to the middle of the field to play safety. And you would bring Ed Reed off, Ed Reed off the edge or something. It was crazy, man. So I think this guy has an opportunity to be that type of player for the Ravens. Interesting. Ojabo and Adafi Owe were actually high school teammates in New Jersey. Can you imagine a quarterback and you got to sit there and look at Adafi Owe on one side and Ojabo on the other side coming at you? Now, of course, they Ojabo had just started playing football. Ojabo is a guy who actually was born in Nigeria, then moved to Scotland when he was younger and didn't even wow. come to the United States until he was 17 years old. And that's the same wow. for their fourth round pick, Daniel Falele, the humongous tackle from the University of Minnesota. Six foot eight, three eighty. Six eight, three eighty. He's an Australian who had not played football at all until he, uh, at IMG Academy in Florida, he was basically learning the rules of the game and was getting scholarship offers before he had even played it down because people looked at his size and said he could do it. Um, mm-hmm. But Ajabo and Oe being high school teammates and now being Ravens teammates is kind of cool. You That's talked awesome. about Ajabo being able to play all over the edge. The next pick, so the next pick after Ajabo. The Ravens had the number 76 pick, and to your point, Ajabo probably wouldn't have been there at number 76. That's 30 more picks. I think someone else would have taken him. But in the at the 76th pick, the Ravens took a defensive lineman named Travis Jones from Connecticut. The thing that Eric DaCosta said right away the night they drafted him was, we think we can play him anywhere along the defensive line. Uh, and they can move him around, but they love about him is that he gets to the quarterback from inside, and that's something they haven't really found lately. Brandon Williams didn't really do it. They think Justin Matabike might be able to do it, but didn't really. Uh, Michael Pierce isn't really that guy. So they think Travis Jones might be a guy who might be able to really get into the quarterback from the interior of the defense. and that, So I think he's a guy to watch. I think he could have an impact right away this year as a rookie. Now, let's get to the pick that really raised a lot of eyebrows for this team. Fourth round, number 130, punter Jordan Stout out of Penn State. And when you take a punter in this draft, especially in the fourth round, you're sending a signal that you're keeping this punter. You really value him. You really like him. 
Meanwhile, the Ravens have Sam Cook, who's punted them for 16 years. He's played more games than anyone in the history of the organization. And now you draft Jordan Stout. What are you doing if you're Sam Cook and they take Jordan Stout? What are you thinking? I, I don't think Sam have anything to worry about. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, Sam has been Mr. Consistent for the Ravens forever. And, you know, I remember when they let Matt Stover go, you know, and I was like, what? You let Stover go? You know, so, you know, anything's possible. You know, Sam's one of those guys that if if they don't resign Sam, you know, this year and they end up pushing him out for Stout, he may just retire. You know, like like Stover did. Stover's like, ah, you know, my family's here in Baltimore. The kids are here. You know, the school's here. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm just going to go ahead and shut it down now. You know, Sam has probably made enough money. I'm sure he's done extremely well for himself. And um, he's been, like I say, he's been he's been consistent for a long time. I mean, this I'm sure this frees up a little bit of money for the Ravens. Um, and the, the cap goes down a little bit, so they can kind of free up some moves for him later on. But it's one of those things, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it, right? You know, so you're looking at, like, to me, Sam has never been broke, you know, so he don't need nobody to come in and replace him. If they do let him go, I think there'll be a ton of teams out there that'll be ready to go grab um, Sam. But at the same time, I, I like Jordan Stout. I think he's a stud. Sam is definitely going to help this kid get better. And um, this kid would definitely help push Sam a little bit since Sam hasn't been pushed in a long, long, long time. Um, and Sam is one of those guys that don't need it. He's a perfect, he's a perfect pro. You know, he's done it the right way. Always have, and he will continue to if he ends up somewhere else. But um, I think you're right. I think bringing in a fourth round pick, you definitely don't look to get rid of him. But if he comes in and crack underneath that pressure, you got Sam Cook right there. He's good. Yeah, so I think the interesting thing will be to see. So Sam Cook is under contract, but he, uh, for one more year, but he, they would save, I think, $2.1 million on the cap if they were to release Sam Cook. And, and, I mean, that's money they might need because, let's face mm-hmm. it, they still need to find an edge rusher who can help now because David Ajabo is not going to help now. Uh, they still need to probably find another veteran receiver to help out, even though you're probably leaning more on the tight ends. Now you're going to have to find another receiver. And so mm-hmm. that $2.1 million that Sam Cook was due, I think, could help them. I think that Uh, Jordan Stout had said after he was picked that, you know, I look forward to coming in and learning from Sam. I question how long Sam and Jordan would be, you know, maybe they'll both be in training camp the entire time. Maybe Sam Cook decides, you know what, I think I'm going to go to the beach this summer and I think I'll just retire now. Um, Maybe Sam Cook will, as you said, get released and try to sign on and play somewhere else. But He's settled here in the Baltimore area. He's lived here for almost 20 years. I think it's a very interesting move, clearly, but last year, Eric DaCosta let Morgan Cox go. He was the long snapper for 10 years, beloved by his, what they call the wolf pack, Justin Tucker and uh, Sam Cook. But the interesting thing is Eric DaCosta said, hey, we've got to get younger. And I think he's going to say the same thing about Sam Cook. I just think we have to get younger. We have to move on, and, and, and it's these are the decisions that the GM makes at times. And like they always say, Father Time is undefeated, right? And at some point, you have to get younger, and it looks like this year is going to be the time that it happens with Sam Cook, who's been you know everything the Ravens could hope for in a punter. And quite frankly, I think the pressure on Jordan Stout comes as well as in the kicking game mm-hmm. because Jerry Rosberg, the former Ravens special teams uh, coordinator, He called Sam Cooke the best holder in the history of football. And I think part of what he was saying was, 
There's a reason Justin Tucker is so, so good, and it's a lot of it's Tucker, but some of it is Cook, because every snap is true. Every catch is made by the holder, put in the exact spot, laces turned, everything is right every time. And he gave he gave Cook a lot of credit for that, and so that now would become the job of Jordan Stout. And in fact, an interesting thing about Jordan Stout that I heard was that at his pro day at Penn State, all he did was hold. He didn't do any punting. He already had enough punts on tape. He had enough punts on at bowl games, whatever. All he did at the Penn State Pro Day was hold because he knew teams would want to see him as a holder because in the NFL, almost always, the holder ends up being the punter. They practice together and so forth. So yeah. that will be a big part of what Jordan Stout has to do is become part of what Justin Tucker calls the operation, and he would be the holder for this kicking game. And I think that's a big part of what we'll be watching with Jordan Stout. So... That was a really interesting pick by the Ravens. All right, Daniel Wilcox moving forward. As I said, David Ajabo is not playing until probably at least Thanksgiving. Edge rusher remains a significant concern. I mean, Tyus Bowser's coming off an Achilles injury. Adafe Owe had shoulder surgery after the season, but he should be good to go. But I look at this team, and they still need to find an edge rusher. They probably still need to find a wide receiver. Where do you see this team going forward in the next, say, six to eight weeks leading up to training camp? Um, I think they'll play about ear. I, I really do think they'll get out here and they'll kind of see the guys move around and see what they have and see who looks good and probably move some guys around position wise and, and get a feel for it. You know, maybe you'll get some of the guys back that was injured last year and beat up and banged up and, um, and you're good, you know, you know, you're better than people think you are, you know? So I wasn't, I, I don't think, I don't think they'll panic at all. I think they'll just take their time and play it by ear. I still think, they will go out and they will grab some guys on free agency, you know, definitely on the offensive line to kind of, you know, to thicken that line up a little bit more. Um, definitely a receiver, hands down. They're going to go grab one or two receivers just to replace that void. And I, I, I hope people are not sleeping on James Prochet because I think that kid is phenomenal. You know, I, I really think this is an opportunity for him to kind of really step up to the plate. And I think I saw him post something on his social media recently too. You know, it was something, you know, kind of encrypted, like, you know, the time is now or something like that. You know, I hope people are not sleeping on him because the kid has phenomenal hands. He knows how to separate naturally. Um, He's shifty. He can return kicks and punts for you as well. And he's a guy that I think could be a great playmaker, your Wes Welker type. If you allow him to to grow and build his confidence more and more and more, and he he starts to realize that okay, they believe in me a little bit more. They're trying to get the ball to me a little bit more. His his play will continue to elevate. His confidence will grow. He will get better and better and better. He has some of the best hands I think I've ever seen. And um, so don't sleep on him. Well, I you know? think both uh, Prochet, uh, Tylen Wallace, Devin Duvernay, all three of those receivers now suddenly. Uh, have a real big chance to make an impact. And there's talk that the Ravens might be bringing back Justin Houston as an edge rusher, which would be an option as well. So mm-hmm. there will be moves. Ozzie Newsom used to always say the rosters, the roster building process never ends. It's always ongoing. And as you said, I'm sure Eric DaCosta is up there looking at players now. He'll, they'll have, they have rookie minicamp. That'll be undrafted rookies. One of the interesting undrafted rookies the Ravens reportedly have agreed to terms with is Diego Fagoa, an inside linebacker from Navy, who would be a neat story locally. And we know the Ravens have a long history of bringing in uh, undrafted inside linebackers, but they do need to find edge rush help. And there is talk of Justin Houston coming back to help. The schedule will be announced on May the 12th, so we'll be back with another show after that looking at exactly what the Ravens season will look like week to week 
And it could include a trip to Europe. The Ravens have three road games against teams that are scheduled to play in Europe, one in Germany and two in London. So a trip to Europe is not out of the question, but we will know that when the schedule is released on May the 12th. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Network.